Good morning, everybody. Brilliant to see you. Uh, it's good to see some people I don't know. My name's Matthew. I'm one of the pastors. I'm based up at our other congregation at Alder Road, as well as giving a lead to the team across Gateway as a whole. And it's only been six weeks since we've been in, back in two congregations since we opened our new building at Alder Road. But uh, already there's been a lot of uh, new people around and things changing, and uh, it's good to be back in this building. I was here yesterday for the men's prayer meeting, but it gives me back here on a Sunday morning for the first time since before Christmas. And it's been so encouraging to hear about what God's doing down here at 5 2, um, to hear about all the ways that God is blessing you and people being added and good stuff happening. And uh, we've really enjoyed getting going at Alder Road as well since we've been there for the last six weeks. In the new facility, I know lots of you've been up there for worship, worship night last week and that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, great sense of God's blessing and favour on us. Had our first baptisms a couple of weeks ago, which was exciting. And uh, yeah, enjoying getting to use that new space and seeing what God is doing between our two congregations. Love it when we're able to overlap things like worship nights and other stuff. Uh, it's great when we can meet and mix and mingle a bit. Uh, we're currently doing a an exploring membership course midweek with people from both congregations. It's been great to have people from both congregations at that. Uh, but it's really lovely to be here this morning. I'll be looking forward to it. Uh, it does feel a bit funny not seeing some of you as much as I used to. So great to be here today and catch up with people. And uh, meanwhile, Richard's up the other end preaching at Alder Road. So we're all swapping around. And we had, we had amazing musicals swapping around this morning as well. I don't know if you noticed, but all the musicians had changed position. Uh, Steve was on drums, Paul was on guitar, Dale was bass. That's fairly normal, isn't it? But the other two, I don't know what was going on. Anyway, it was all very confusing, but it was great. Right, as Nathaniel said, we're going to be looking at Psalm 60 this morning. If you are doing our bread Bible reading, each weekend there is a psalm to read, and the psalms are brilliant. The psalms are the people of God's songbook. They uh, help us to worship, they help us to pray, help us to connect with the Lord. And the psalm for this weekend is Psalm 60. And I thought this morning it would be good to work our way through Psalm 60 and see what God might say to us through that. So let's read it. I haven't got a PowerPoint. It'd be really helpful if you had a Bible. So if you can grab Bibles, if you're sitting near a pile of Bibles, maybe you can pass them around to others and turn to Psalm 60, which is on page 578 in these Bibles. If you can see a Bible in front of you, that would be really helpful. Graham, can you, uh, Graham, can you shift some of those Bibles around, mate? Thank you. Okay. For the director of music, to the tune of the Lily of the Covenant, a miktam of David for teaching, when he fought Aram Naharaim and Aram Zobah, and when Joab returned and struck down 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. You have rejected us, God, and burst upon us. You have been angry, now restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. On Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. 
Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have now rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God we shall gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. Praise God, this is the truth. This is God's word of truth to us. Okay, Psalm 60. If you've got a Bible in front of you, which I hope you have now, you'll see next to uh, the number 60 is a little A, and that points you to a note at the bottom, and that little note says, in Hebrew text, uh, Psalm 61 to 12 is numbered Psalm 63 to 14. That's because in the, in the Hebrew text, the introduction is part of the psalm. And uh, it's important for us to understand this, that when the psalms have an introduction, they are part of the psalm, and we're meant to read them as part of the psalm, not just skip over them. And of all the psalms, many of them have introductions, but this introduction to Psalm 60 is the longest introduction to any of the psalms, and that means that probably we ought to pay particular attention to it. And as we read the introduction to the psalm, we see that it tells us some some things about how the psalm is to be used. It's for the director of music, so this is being written by David for the person who is going to lead the worship in the temple. It's to the tune of the Lily of the Covenant. There's a particular tune that David wants it sung to. It's a miktam. We're not quite sure what that is, but it's some musical style. It's for teaching, and it's come as a result of a time of conflict when David and Joab, the commander of the army, have been in battles. So what we see from this introduction, one thing we see is that David is taking real care in his worship, that uh, as he writes this psalm, as he writes it for the people, as he writes it for them to learn from, be instructed by, sing together, there's a real care taken in preparing this act of worship. There's some thoughts given to it. And that should speak to us because when we come to worship, there should also be some care that we give to our worship, that we don't just come casually to worship. We come with a sense of awe coming into the Lord's presence, and we come with a, some sense of preparation that we want to worship carefully, in a sense that we want to speak truth. We want our songs to be full of truth, and the prayers we pray to be full of truth. And uh, the musicians practice. I don't just turn rock up without practicing together, but there's some application and, and, and discipline giving, given in order to enable our worship to help us come into God's presence in order to honor God as we should. We also see in this introduction that the purpose of this psalm, it's, it says it's for teaching or for instruction, that the reason that David is writing this, this psalm is, is that there has been a particular situation that's happened, particular things which have happened, and David wants this psalm to help teach the people how to respond, how to respond in this kind of circumstance and situation. And as we read the psalms, we need to see how they are for our teaching and instruction. They, they teach us how to respond to different circumstances in life. And the thing about the psalms, 150 of them, is that whatever circumstances you're experiencing in life, the full range of human experience, human emotions, good things, bad things, the psalms are able to instruct us and teach us about how we are to respond. And that's what this psalm does for us in the particular situation which it describes. So we, we need the psalms. I need the psalms. You need the psalms. We need this psalm. We need Psalm 60. Look at the first four verses. You have rejected us, God, and burst upon us. You have been angry. Now restore us. 
You have shaken the land and torn it open. Mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. As we start this psalm, it's not a feel-good psalm. Some of the psalms do feel much better. Some of the psalms, many of the psalms start with praise and joyfulness. That's not where this psalm begins. This psalm begins with a sense of some desperation. And the psalm has been born out of a battle situation. David has been off fighting the Aramites. Joab has been off fighting the Edomites. And it seems that there's been some kind of defeat and loss which they have experienced. That's why this psalm is being written, an experience of loss in battle. And so if you've come in here this morning into this building and you're feeling a sense of loss, or maybe even more personally, you're not feeling just a sense of loss, maybe you've come in and you just feel like a loser, this is a psalm for you. This is a psalm for losers and for those who are experiencing loss. It's designed, it's intended to instruct us and teach us and to help us. And what David does as he writes his psalm to instruct us, as he reflects on the loss that he's experienced, is that he interprets what's happened primarily as a spiritual issue. Because how it feels to him, in whatever he's gone through, whatever loss he's experienced, how it feels to him is that God, that God has rejected him and God has rejected his own people. The reason they have experienced loss seems to be because God has rejected them. And what this does is to raise a theological question. When stuff goes wrong in our lives, when it feels like we're experiencing loss, when we feel like losers, is that because God is angry with us and has rejected us? Or does God get angry with us because we've done things that we shouldn't uh, have done? Has God really rejected his people? Now, David makes this appeal to the Lord. He says, you've been angry, now restore us. And the fact that he appeals to God, restore us, indicates that probably the people had been in some kind of rebellion against God. It seems like they had in some way sinned against God, and so they need to be restored to God because their actions have separated them from God. In that sense, we might say, well, it seems like the fault is at the people's end rather than at God's end. But we don't really get an insight into the mind of God in what David says here. He doesn't really answer this question about why these things have happened. What David does is to describe the situation. This is how it feels. You've rejected us. You're angry with us. We've suffered. We're losing. That's how it feels. And then David appeals to God's sovereignty. God, would you restore us? And there is something to instruct us and teach us here that if we feel like we have fallen, if we feel like, if it feels like God has rejected us, what we should do is not despair, but we should turn to God and say, God, would you restore us? God, would you restore us? If, you, if you're feeling like a loser this morning, turn to the Lord and say, Lord, would you restore me? Would you restore me to a place where I again have a sense of your nearness, not of your distance, where I have a sense of your closeness, not of you being far off, where I don't have a sense of you being angry with me, but where I experience and know your mercy and kindness and tenderness towards me. Lord, would you restore us? Restore us. And then the second verse here just feels far too appropriate. It's amazing the timing, isn't it? This is our psalm for the week, and think of what's happened. You've shaken the land 
and torn it open, mend its fractures, for it is quaking. We've been through an earthquake. 28,000 people dead in Turkey and Syria because of the earthquake which happened this past week. What do we, what do, we do with something like that? What do we do? David asked that question. You've shaken the land, you've torn it open. There's been an earthquake that's gone on in David's life. In this situation, it's probably not a, it's not a literal earthquake. It's a, an emotional earthquake because of the loss he's experiencing. But this week, we've seen a literal earthquake. What do we do about that? If, if we're not shaken by an earthquake, you're not going to get shaken by anything. 28,000 people dead. Think of what earthquakes have done over the centuries. 13 years ago, 2010, 316,000 people died in Haiti in the earthquake then. Probably most of us have even forgotten that. It's amazing how terrible disasters just passed by our minds. But 13 years ago, not 28,000, 316,000 people died in Haiti with an earthquake. Roll the clock back a bit further in history. 1556, there was an earthquake in China which killed 830,000 people. Nearly a million people dying in that one earthquake. What do we say about that? What do we say about these things? And then in verse 3, David uses another image You've given us wine that makes us stagger. Wine is meant to be a tonic. Wine is meant to be a comfort. Wine is meant to cheer you. Wine is meant to make things better. But David says they've been given a wine to drink that has made them stumble. Now, what do we say to these things? What David says in this psalm, what he identifies and recognizes, is that ultimately God is... Sovereign. Ultimately, God does stand behind everything. And there are times when it does feel like God turns away from us. And surely God does bring judgment upon individuals and nations that reject him. Surely God does do that. We also see in this the realities of human sin and greed and corruption. It seems very clear that in this earthquake this week that there would have been far fewer dead if the building regulations which are meant to be applied in Turkey had been applied. But because of human sin and greed and corruption, multiple buildings were not built to the standard they were meant to be built. And when the earthquake came, the buildings collapsed and people were killed who should not have been killed. We see human responsibility, even as we recognize God's sovereignty. And we see that we're not given all the answers In the psalm, David doesn't really even dig into these questions. He doesn't dig into the why is this happening to us questions. Why has this happened? He simply describes things as they are, or at least he describes things as they feel. This is how it feels, Lord. You've rejected us. You're angry with us. You're not going with us anymore. We've been hit by an earthquake. And in this, we have to recognize, of course, that our human perspective is always very limited. That... We don't see what God is doing. We can't have God's view on things, his vision. We just see what's up close and immediate and personal to us. We, we don't see the whole picture. We can't. And that does leave us with all kinds of questions. And, and for David, the questions which he must have are so personal because in his, as he describes what's happening to him and his nation, he's, he's talking about the people who God has said are his very own. This is, this is God's covenant people who are experiencing, it seems, God's rejection and anger. The tune that David says this psalm is to be sung to is the lily of the covenant. 
God's covenant people, the people that God has made binding promises to, to bless and to keep and to prosper. This people are experiencing an earthquake. They're stumbling and falling. It feels like God is angry and has rejected them. God, where are you in this situation? Is the appeal that David makes. What on earth is going on? But then, in all of these realities, these apparent realities, where it feels like God is distant and angry and the people are stumbling, David says there's a banner which is being unfurled. What's that about? A banner is a rallying point. For those who fear you, you've raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. There's been a field of battle in which many have been falling, but now a banner is being raised, and David's cry is, rally to the banner, to me, to me, come to the banner, come to the king, come to the place where there is security, rally to the banner. Now, if you're a Christian, the application, I think, for this, of this for us is that we are to rally to the banner of Jesus Christ. When it feels like the earth is shaking, when it feels like there's an earthquake going on in our lives, rally to Jesus. Whether what's going on is your fault or somebody else's fault or God knows whose fault, rally to Him. Rally to Jesus. That's the place where we find security. That's the place where we can find hope even if it feels like everything is staggering and stumbling and falling apart, rally to him. Now, if you look at your Bibles, you'll see at the end of verse 4, there's another little note. It's got a letter E, and down at the bottom of the, of the page, it says, the Hebrew has selah, a word of uncertain meaning here. Now, we use uh, the NIV translation here at Gateway, which is a great translation, but one of the frustrations of it for me is that Throughout the Psalms, it has removed this word selah, and it gives a little note saying it should be there. And I think the translators have taken out the word selah because it seems like a strange Hebrew word, and nobody's quite sure what it means, and so they've just taken it out. But it's actually really helpful to stop at the point where it says selah. We, we think it's some kind of musical or worship instruction, which is basically encouraging us to, to pause, to reflect, and to praise God. And so having described this reality, that it feels like everything is falling apart, it feels like God is angry, it feels like he's rejected his people, and then having declared there's a banner to which we can run, David says, Selah. At this point, we're meant to pause. We're meant to reflect. And then we're meant to praise. And even as we think about the events of the last week, it's good to pause and think about the sober reality of 28,000 people crushed to death in an earthquake. And it's good to reflect on that and give thanks to God that that's not our experience and to pray for God's mercy towards those who suffered in that way. And to change microphones. So let's do that. Let's pause and reflect. Lord, we do. Lord, we turn our thoughts to you as we turn our thoughts to that terrible situation in Turkey and Syria. And all we say, we don't understand all that's gone on. We don't understand why earthquakes strike and so many die. We can see 
explanations like human corruption and greed, which would make things worse than they should be. But Lord, I pray that we would rally to your banner again. And Lord, for those in this room who are feeling a sense of loss today or feel personally like they're losers, I pray there might be a rallying to you and to your banner and a sense of security and strength that comes. So we give you praise, Lord. Amen. Verse 5, save us and help us with your right hand that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Sokoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. On Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Now there's a, a shift in the psalm here. There's a shift. The first four verses... David is describing the defeat they've experienced and making an appeal to God for rescue. And here in these verses, that shifts to a declaration of confidence in who God is and a declaration of what he is going to do. And there's a prophetic word of what God is going to do. God has spoken from his sanctuary. And what God speaks here from his sanctuary, from his temple, probably isn't what we imagine God speaking, because what God speaks sounds a lot like what you would hear on the terraces at a football game. It's a shout of triumph. It's a shout of ridicule against the opposition. Over, Moab is my wash basin. On Edom I toss my sandal. Now those are profound insults that are being proclaimed against these other nations. God's rule and reign is going to be seen. God says that the whole land, Shechem and Succoth, will come together. There's going to be unity in the land. The whole land will be united, Gilead and Manasseh. That where at the moment there's division, there's loss, there's a defeat in battle, God's going to pull the whole thing together and the whole thing will be seen to be his. God's rule and reign are going to be seen. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. God's rule and reign are going to be made clear. And God's enemies are going to be humiliated. The nations which are currently humiliating God's people will themselves be humiliated. And so we have this football terrace chant of, Moab is my wash basin, and on Edom I toss my sandal. God's shout of triumph over the enemies. Now, that might be a little bit difficult for us because we don't imagine God speaking that way, but it's what the Bible says, it's what Scripture says. And for those of us who are Christians, this instruction, this teaching is meant to give us confidence. When we look at our world at the moment, with all its division, with all its rebellion against God, with all those who refuse to acknowledge God, we can take this psalm and we apply it to our world today. In triumph, I will parcel out Bournemouth and measure off the Bourne Valley of Paul, and it will all be mine. Gilead is mine, Christchurch is mine, and Hampshire and Dorset are mine. It's all going to be God's, it's, and in God, it's all going to be God's peoples. It's all going to be ours. It's going to be, belong to us. And all the enemies and powers that oppose us are going to be ridiculed. All the systems of the world which seem so dominant and powerful at the moment, they, they're going to be shaving foam scum. Moab is my wash basin. You gents, if you shave, or maybe ladies, if you shave as well. I don't want to go into that. What do you have left at the bottom? 
It's just shaving foam scum. It's disgusting. That's what God's saying. This is how they're going to be. Shaving foam scum. That's how it's going to be. Those world systems and powers which oppose the purposes of God at the moment, that's how they're going to be seen. Ridiculed. Nothing. Now for us, this is realized much more completely because of what Jesus has done. David relates his prophecy here. Judah is my scepter. Now, Jesus is the scepter from Judah. Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah, and he is the king, he is the ruler. Jesus was humiliated at the cross, and yet Jesus triumphed. A passage from the New Testament which uh, really helps us to see this is, is in Colossians. I want to turn over there, page 1183, Colossians chapter 2. And uh, here the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, expresses the same sentiments as this psalm, but in terms of what Jesus has done. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when it felt like the earthquake had hit, when it felt like God was angry, when it felt like you were rejected by him, when you felt distant and far off, then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. You were condemned. You were an enemy of God. But now he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Shaving foam scum, triumphing over them by the cross. It's what Jesus has done. God in Christ has spoken from his sanctuary. He has spoken through his Son. And whatever confidence David had in God, we can have more because of what Jesus has done. Our sin has been dealt with fully and finally in a way which the people of Israel didn't know and experience because of the cross of Christ. And this means that our ultimate hope of victory is even more secure than was David's because of what Jesus has done, because he has triumphed at the cross, because he has humiliated and ridiculed his enemies. We can be confident of the victory that is ours. A few years ago at Easter, we were teaching through a series on the cross, and we did one message titled Christus Victor, a Latin phrase, Jesus Christ, the victor, and uh, put together a series of scriptures from the New Testament which reflect this. I just looked them up again this week. I think it's helpful. Listen to this and be encouraged in your soul. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, faithful, Hebrews 10. And be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, 1 Peter 5. And put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand, Ephesians 5. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10. Stand firm then. Let nothing move you. 1 Corinthians 15. For God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. 2 Thessalonians 1. 
and the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God, Romans 8. Because having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, Colossians 2.15. Everything that David had hoped for, we have a greater hope in because we see what Jesus has done at the cross. He has triumphed. He has made a public spectacle of his enemies. Hallelujah. He is bringing us in to victory. Verse 9. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have now rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God we shall gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. How is it that we're going to possess enemy territory? How is it that David is going to storm the fortified city? How is it that David is going to take possession of Edom? How is it in our context that darkness gets pushed back and we see the kingdom of God advancing? How does what is broken get put right? It's not by human strength. It's not by human strength. Our human strength is limited. David was a serious dude. David was the guy who killed lions and bears with a club and a slingshot. He was the one who killed the giant Goliath with a stone thrown from a sling. But David knew his limits. He knew the limits of his power, of his strength. He knew that he couldn't do it. He knew what it was to taste defeat. He knew what it was to experience and suffer loss. He knew when he needed help. He knew that he needed to see the power of God at work. That's true for us as well. We need to see the power of God at work. It's only through the power of God that darkness will get pushed back. It's only by the power of God that's what's broken will be made whole. It's only by the power of God that where they're stumbling would be lifted up. It's only by the power of God that where we experience loss in him we'll know plenty. It's only by the power of God that if you feel like a loser in Christ you can experience what it is to be a victor. And so we need to remember the spiritual fight that we're in. And when it feels like, as it can at times, that God is absent, when it feels like God isn't going with us, what we need to do is what David does in his psalm. And not fall into despair, but instead turn to the Lord and say, God, we need you. We need to know your power. We need to know you at work in our lives. Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless, but with God we shall gain the victory. He will trample down the enemies. We know that's true. We know that's true even more than David did because we have seen what Christ did at the cross. That at the cross, Jesus did make a public spectacle of his enemies. He did trample them. He did defeat sin and death and the devil. And that means that we can have confidence that in our experience, as a church, as individuals, we can see the victory and the triumph of God. Our theme for this year as a church is multiply. Nathaniel's already hinted at it in what he said earlier in the service. We're looking for God to multiply his blessing on us. We want to see more people coming to know him. 
We want to see more broken lives being made heal, made whole. We want to see the sick being healed. We want to see the poor being lifted up. We want to see this baptistry tank full much more often and people proclaiming the triumph of Christ in their lives. We want to see the multiplication of these things. How is that going to happen? Only through the power of God. And this is a spiritual fight. So let's turn to him. Let's rally to his banner and let's believe for his victory in our experience, in our lives, right here, right now. Season of Lent is just around the corner. It's only eight weeks till Easter Sunday. At Easter, of course, we celebrate Christus Victor, the victory of Christ at the cross. The enemy has been trampled. But that's the truth not just for Easter Sunday. That's the truth for every day of our lives. Human help is worthless, but in God we shall gain the victory. He will trample down our enemies. He already has, because at the cross, Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil. And so in him, we rally to his banner. We find his help. We find his strength. We get lifted up, and we know his victory. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you that you are the victor. So Lord, I pray for those here this morning who do feel... We do feel battered by life, that they would be lifted up again by you, find strength in you again. And Lord, I pray for us as a church, I pray here at 502 and at Alder Road, we would see the greater victory of God worked out in our experience this year. I pray there would be a multiplication of your blessing upon us, that we would see the evidence of your victory, of your favor, that we would know that God, yes, God is with us. And God is the one who is able to bring us into victory because Christ already has triumphed. Let us lay hold of these things afresh, King Jesus. Let us uh, let them seep deep into our souls and live them out in our experience and how we conduct ourselves in the world. Thank you that we are your, we are your covenant people and you will never let us go. To that we cling and in you we hope. Amen.